Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. And welcome to Mama Mia Out Loud, what women are talking about three times a week. I'm Mia Friedman. I'm Holly Wainwright. And I'm Jessie Stevens. And on the show today, look, a celebrity child has got everybody clutching their pearls about how young is too young to do things like get your nails done, have a skincare routine. And we have some thoughts about the way the world is turning in this direction. Plus our best and worst of the week, which involves that variant that we're definitely not panicking about and Jessie's worst day ever. But first, Jessie. Well, well, well. If it wasn't me a few weeks early on a story the other week talking about my good friends Abby Chatfield and Brooke Blurton, I believe that you two didn't see the significance of an Instagram unfollow. It was a week ago. You're right. I was mocked and it turns out I was right. I knew the gravity of the situation. I was just early to it. Now, I'm obviously the cancellation correspondent. I do cancelled and (laughs) I'm fascinated by watching people the new culture of sort of being called out and then having to apologise and what happens next and how quickly or slowly that unfolds. Yesterday was a big day in group chats. There were screenshots being sent. There were cars being pulled over going, I need to take a look at this because I'm going to give you a bit of context in case you missed the episode a week ago. Basically, Abby Chatfield, who's the former reality TV star and now she's a podcast and TV host, she is dating a good friend's ex. What happened was that Brooke Blurton, the most recent Bachelorette, and Abby, very good friends, halfway through Brooke's season, Abby was photographed hooking up with a guy named Conrad who was on Brooke's season and we hadn't watched him be eliminated yet, so it was a massive spoiler. Yesterday, Brooke posted her first statement about what happened. She said, I hate to bring it up, but personally and mentally, I've been disrupted by all the crap that came with finale week. She said there's no hate in her heart, but... She referred to the hardest point of what's happened and that was that her experience was tainted once again by one, what I thought was a close friend, two, another white woman displaying what white privilege looks like and three, a very clear display of narcissism. Brooke said that this person's behaviour hurts me and literally pains me. I've reached out to this person to resolve this conflict But basically what she says is that you guys asked for my comment. There it is. Now go and give them more airtime, which is exactly what this is about. And that's referring to Abby and Conrad. Hours later. Her main points, though, I think it should be noted, were that her season of The Bachelorette was pivotal because it was the first time a First Nations woman had been The Bachelorette and the first time a queer a queer woman had been bachelorette and how by announcing, I can't believe we're talking about this, but by doing a hard launch of her relationship the on, night, the, day on the, the day finale. of the finale, all of her media appearances then were about, instead of being asked about the significance of her mm. season and her new relationship, they were all about Abby and Conrad. And she said that all of that airtime 
she can't get back. And the headlines. What the media yeah. did, the media, you know. Can Turned only... it into a cat fight. Yes, and also the headlines the then became all about Abby and Conrad, yeah. a white couple rather than Brooke and her experience and that quite yeah. groundbreaking season, which I think is valid. Abby responded hours later and she said, we absolutely should have waited to be in private as we are both public figures. This is about her kissing Conrad in public and being caught. She went into details about her mistaking a message from Brooke as approval. It's a lot of detail. But she said, <laughs> I see with hindsight that this assumption was naive. I now understand the timing of publicly sharing our relationship should have been more considered. I acknowledge that impact outweighs intent. She acknowledged that she has inherent privilege as a white woman and my actions had the potential to undermine the importance of this season for First Nations communities and LGBTQIA communities. And the final sentence, which will be familiar, this is an extremely important conversation to be having in future. This will be at the forefront of my mind and I will continue to listen and amplify minority communities and endeavour to learn. Now, I don't think this story needs more people weighing in on who's right and who's wrong because two women are having a hell of a week. Like Mm. there are no winners here. The abuse that they would both be receiving would be pretty awful. But what I'm interested in is apology culture and whether there is a handbook that celebrities are turning to now and does this formal PR apology that ticks all the boxes help to move this stuff along faster? Will this story be gone by Monday? Mia, what do you think? Yeah, I think this is um, quite momentous in how fast the cycle has contracted. So you could easily have missed this because Brooke did her Instagram stories, I don't know, in late morning and by the evening Abby had put out her statement in response. And once someone acknowledges that the other person has a point and apologises, it's hard to keep going because she said, yep, you're right you're right. I didn't think of it. It's not good enough. Must do better. But the next step is dissecting the apology and saying what's wrong. Yeah, is inevitable. And And there is, what I've learned over the years is that there's no way to apologise because if you apologise and say all the right things, people will say you don't mean them. And if you don't say the right things, people will attack you for not saying the right things. So there's no real way to prove the genuineness of an apology. But I can certainly feel in within group chats and just generally the heat suddenly has gone out of it because, you know, what else can you say other than I made a mistake, I'm sorry, and I'm going to do better. Like you can't go back in time. Mm. So mm. I'm, I'm left with what, what else could you do, Hol? I think all those things are very true, but I don't actually think that stops people from demanding more. What I see here is like looking at the comments on Abby's apology, having the conversations that we've been having around the content team about it, is yes, it was a good good apology, in inverted commas, but there's a lot of eye rolling about it too. There's a lot of like, well, of course, because this is the playbook that Jesse spoke about now, and this was executed with speed, which is critical. And as you said, Mia has kind of taken the heat out of it. But people know that it's the playbook. So there's like an awareness and a cynicism that, well, of course, Abby was going to apologize. And of course, she was going to use the words, learn, listen, do better, all of those things. 
And I'm not saying that I think it's in any way insincere because I think that, as you make the point, Mia, you can't please people with an apology. I was looking at mm. some political spin because there are professionals who deal with this and that will have been a professionally crafted apology. Mm. And there are organisations who specialise in crisis management and writing the kind of apologies that you would need to put out in this kind of situation is a legitimate job. And so much thought would go into it. But I was reading a political spin doctor who was saying that outrage culture has made apologies kind of pointless because the people who claim to be offended will never accept an apology. That's and the true. people who aren't offended don't really care unless you've really screwed up the apology and then they can talk about that. Mm. So basically what he was saying is, of course, you should apologize but only do it if you mean it. Like apologize if you genuinely think it will make you feel better. And crucially, of course, the other person feel better. Do it for your own good and that of that person. And I'm sure that they are. I mean, I'm with you, Jesse. I don't want to weigh in on this situation. It's not my fight to be had. I think it's so 2021, this whole thing, because if you try and explain it to someone who doesn't live in the kind of world try that we live in. Try to explain it to your parents yeah. or your grandparents. Or, or even to Brent, who I live with. Yeah. Like he would just be, what are you who? talking about? Why are these people like someone that like, had a soft launch of their relationship at the wrong time? And this season of a reality TV show was momentous culturally for these reasons, which of course I agree with. And then somebody with kissing and then and something And why are people making privileged. statements on Instagram it's about very, It's yeah. very 20 2021. But I don't know, I get the hint from looking at the people who aren't happy with Abby's apology that apologies will lose their weight and meaning because mm. we expect them and we know they're coming. So people are a bit like, well, now what? Do you just get to go back to normal? And the answer is, well, yes, of course you do. What else do you want? Do you want me to sit here and show you my scars? Like, I don't know. Exactly. And I mm. think that what people want now is to believe that Abby is a narcissistic racist, white privileged woman who is two-dimensional. I think that's a lot easier. And so the people who are going after her have now put her into a camp. And the fact that the truth is always much messier than that and that we all make mistakes and that we might fit into that category one day and do better the next, that's not as appealing, I suppose. I want to say to the people who criticise the apologies, I, and I call them the apology police, what do you want? Like the other option was that she didn't apologise. I guess there was an option that she kind of went, sorry, you know, yeah. when you ask children to apologise to this because they've punched their siblings and then it's like, sorry. And I think it's You're like, say it like you mean it. And, you know, she said all those things and I think that the line to me, I, it's probably not momentous at all, I think I'm just being overly optimistic, but the line to me that I really appreciated was I realise that impact outweighs intent. And I think yeah. that when you are at the bottom of one of these situations and, I, you know, when you're in the middle of one of these situations and everyone is screaming at you, you can become so fixated on explaining that you didn't intend you what it. you've been accused of. It's like I didn't mean it. And that doesn't mean that the person shouldn't be upset, but it's like it's very different running over someone deliberately and running them over accidentally. I mean, they're two very different things. So intent is important, but I like that this acknowledges that impact outweighs intent. And what's difficult is that people then are determined to ascribe intent to you and they yes. then start putting that on you and you yes. want to yell from the rooftops, that's not only I know what I meant and this yeah. is what I meant. 
And I, I agree. I think that then people come out and say, you should have apologised like this or this, and you don't get to decide how people apologise. They do their bit and... I agree with you, Holly. The people who don't accept the apology, the big question is, what do you want? What do you want Abby but to do? I do want to also just add that Brooke's first statement about this was really great because yeah. she could have ignored this. It was being written off and it's still it. one of the reasons the media is so obsessed with it is because we do like it when women fight with each other and female friends falling out and all of those things. We love that stuff. But the fact that Brooke put out that statement that said, actually, no, it's not that that I'm pissed off about, I think was really good because it changed a lot of people's way of thinking about this mm. when Brooke said, it's not about like when we discussed it on Friday, we took it in the direction of, is it all right to date your friend's exes? And she was kind of saying it wasn't about that. It was about stealing the thunder from something really important that was worth listening to. And I think that that might be a bit easy to eye roll at when you're talking about reality television. But we all know that representation is so important and mainstream representation is so important. So it's been a very interesting, if slightly bizarre week on Instagram. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. Hey, my name's Jacinta Chap and this is a message for Out Loud. Just a follow-up about the Laura Hentry combo. My husband had a surname that was a word of the English language that he got really badly bullied about when he was younger. So when we got married, I decided that I was going to keep my last name until we fell pregnant and we really wanted to be a small little family unit. So we decided to combine our last names. We took the first half of my last name and then added on the second half of his last name. And our friends and family were super supportive and our new friends don't even really know that that was never our original surname. Now, pearl clutching alert. On the internet, a celebrity's child has fake nails and people are getting upset about it. Penelope Disick is nine. Her mum is Courtney Kardashian. And this past week, Courtney posted a story that featured Penelope. It wasn't anything to do with the nails. It was just a video of Penelope drinking a soft drink. But what everybody got excited about is the fact that this little girl had fake nails. Now, not the kind of fake nails that little girls would often have, but very professional looking, pointy, beige, tasteful fake nails. Oh. Now, the people, in my opinion, who are upset about this haven't been in the vicinity of a teenager for about 20 years. They're all very shocked. I'm shocked. That another, see, that another one of the f internet's favourite children, Pixie Curtis, on her birthday present wish list earlier this year was a skincare fridge. Right? A skincare <laughs> fridge? A skincare fridge. And people oh. got very upset about that too. But I'm here to tell you, as the parent of a bona fide tween now, that this stuff is no longer the preserve of fancy people. Like, yes, professional fake nails are, and yes, buying an 11-year-old a skincare fridge, of course it is, but the wanting of those things has seeped down through social media, even for those parents who think they're working really hard to keep their kids away from that stuff, it will find its way. And it seeped down, and now my tween, 
who has never been a kind of getting her nails done with mummy kind of girl, is demanding a skincare routine with as many steps as possible. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm conflicted and I need you two to help me unpack it, right? The idea that beauty standards, both kind of harmless ones, in inverted commas, drink, but in inverted commas because, you know, I think that looking after your skin or whatever is obviously probably a good thing, to more inappropriate ones are hitting younger and younger at a much more mainstream level. So we can probably agree that no nine-year-olds really need a skincare fridge or a skincare routine, or at least not a complicated one that's supplied by a dropper in slow motion like on TikTok. But was it just inevitable with the recent boom of all of the grown-ups wanting to do that, that they were next in line? And does that mean that in another year, it'll be all about tween eyelash serum and eyebrow transplants and bum Mm. implants? I mean, I don't know. Help me unpack whether or not this is a problem. I would like to put forward the case for a moral panic. I'd like to just create some panic around this. Because I don't have enough things to worry about as a parent of an 11-year-old girl. I don't like it. Something makes me feel weird about it. I remembered Claire and I used to work at a golf club and there was one night where it was a year six graduation. We wrote about this for Mum Mia four years ago and I went back and had a look at it. So this fear isn't new, but we were working at a year six graduation and were horrified by what we saw. Every girl appeared to have her hair professionally done. There were ball gowns to the floor. And this wasn't a fancy place. This was a very, you know, suburban suburban kind of place. Uh, Handbags. And Claire and I kept going, what's in there? What are you carrying? Your car keys? They had heels on. They had eyeshadow on. And even the way that they spoke, I remember one girl sat down and was like, this just looks delicious. And it was chicken nuggets and chips. And it was this weird contrast between a child's world and an adult world. And we felt weird all night. Is that because you were serving them? We were serving them. And they had their phones out and they were taking lots of pictures and they would have been 12 or whatever. And there were two things that made me uncomfortable that I reflected on. The first was that the boys weren't doing it. While the girls were tripping over their feet and reapplying their lip gloss, the boys were doing the Macarena and having a great time. And I was like, that's sad because the girls aren't playing anymore. They're not playing because they've got their fake nails on and they don't want to get their hair messy. And that's inequality to me. Yep. The second thing I'm with you. was that Claire and I went to the bathroom halfway through. Or I went to the bathroom and I retold this to Claire. And a girl had gone to the bathroom and it was known among these girls that after she ate, she threw up. Oh, God. And that was the discussion that was had. And there were girls outside being like, go and tell the teacher. And Claire and I said, when you give children adult accessories, you give them adult problems. And that's what worries me, is that you put them into that world. Oh, Jesse, this is deep and also dark. I think it's true, though, is that it's, it's You've cute. made a good case for moral panic. It's cute and it's funny and mm. kids have always walked around in their mum's heels and that's all really funny. But the obsession with appearance and a market taking advantage and capitalising on young, vulnerable girls mm doesn't have a nice ending. I agree with you, but my problem is, what do you do about it? Because I pat myself on the back 
that my daughter has got to 11 before she started staring in the mirror a lot, flicking her hair around, and she still doesn't wear makeup. And I know six-year-olds who do, and I'm not, I know this sounds bullshit that I'm saying I'm not judging, but I'm genuinely not judging any of the adults involved in this because I feel like there are forces at work that are bigger than all of us, right? Mm -hmm. So I kind of pat myself on the back that my daughter's got to 11 before she suddenly started asking me about serums. But (laughs) the thing is, is what do you do about it? Like you guys from a distance with no children of this age group that you're very close to or responsible for are seeing one kind of side to those kids. They would probably play a whole lot when they're not in that environment. But the thing is, is that I can't look at those kids, any of these kids, and be like shallow, blah, blah, Mm. bad parenting because that's my world. They're my kids. They're all the kids I know. Mia, what do you think? When I was editor-in-chief of Dolly before social media and before the internet, we used to do surveys of, you know, tweens and young teens every year. And every year when you ask them who their role model was, it always came back as their mum. And I think that before we completely panic, we need to think about how we've changed and where they're learning this from. So my mother got her first pedicure, I think, when she turned 60. She'd never, ever had her nails done. Mm. And I get my nails done all the time. You know, I get my nails done every second week. And getting your nails done is not something for fancy people anymore. You know, you mm. can get a basic nail salon in every mall. There's a nail salon, just 10 nail salons in every mall. Mm. And same with using serums and skincare. So it's no accident that, you know, yes, beauty standards have been remarketed and sold back to us as self-care. But I'm one of those people who really enjoys that. Like I do actually find it really fun. But I have lines that come back to what you say, Jesse, about the reason that I noticed, you know, probably five, ten years ago that at this nail salon where I go, more and more women were coming in with their daughters, Mm. their little daughters, like sometimes like five. And I found that incredibly inappropriate. Not that the little girls wanted to paint their nails because I've always painted my kids' nails, but the idea of a five-year-old having a grown woman waiting waiting on on her. That's my problem too. That's my problem. And so, you know, I've never been comfortable with that at all. But interestingly, it goes in waves. So I've got friends with daughters who are your age and a little bit older whole and they're all saying, oh, you know, I want to get her a makeup kit or what makeup's good for her age or skincare. And I remember when my daughter got really into all of that, it was around 12, 13. She's about to turn 16 and she's not interested in it anymore. She mm. hardly wears any makeup. She's, mm. I, I loved it. It was a short window. I thought it would go on forever where we used to hang out at Mecca and we used to go shopping and talk about makeup and we used to look at different things and she wanted to buy all these palettes and, you know, eyeshadow palettes and it was fun. And now she doesn't. Yeah, and I think that if there's one, any parent, one of the most important parenting lessons that staves off moral panic, actually, is that remembering that nothing is permanent and these are all waves. But I'll push back a little bit on the idea that it's all about watching mummy because I don't think mummy is the primary role model anymore. I agree. And I didn't get to finish that because now I think that the primary role model is not mummy. The primary role model is on social media. Um, I do agree with that. Because... I love skincare, but my daughter has never seen me pouring over my Mm. skincare, unwrapping my, like, it's just not something that she's around for or that I would ever talk Mm. to her about. So it's interesting to me when she suddenly just came into the bathroom and said, do you have skincare? And it was like this word, skincare, 
had never been in her world before, but obviously through either friends or videos they're watching or whatever, it suddenly is a thing. And now she needs to know about it. And now she wants to know if she can have some and she mm. wants to use mine and she wants to... And you're just like, wow, it just comes out of nowhere. It's funny that sometimes it takes someone imitating you to realise how ridiculous you look. Because that was the other thing that Claire Thanks, and I Jessie. thought at this, you know, watching 12-year-olds is that it's like, well, hang on, I'm the one on the weekend tripping over my own feet in heels. Uh-huh. I do my hair like that. I have a handbag with all these silly things in it while the men are way more relaxed. Like, But mm-hmm. hang on, it's also, and it's interesting because my son's having his bar mitzvah this weekend and that's a, like a Jewish tradition and for girls it's called a bat mitzvah that really marks the end of that tween period and the start of the teen period. And what's great about it is that it is like a ritual and a milestone and an official kind of crossing the Rubicon into this new phase. And I won't call it adulthood or even young adulthood. It's not that. But it's basically saying your kitty times are behind you and it's this next stage. What kids are desperate to do, particularly girls, a lot more than boys, is go to that next stage. Yes. Now, in our society, we don't have a lot of markers of what that next stage is. Wearing makeup is one. Having a skincare routine is one. Wearing high heels is one. Being uh, interested in either boys or girls yeah, or whatever. Like getting your hair done or all of that yeah. kind of stuff. So those are the sort of non-sexual milestones yes. that we have, you know, because mm. we don't move out of home until we're 30 now. Oh, don't so, say that. But that is so true, Mia, because what my daughter is wrestling with, and I'm sure she's just, a, you know, the, is what makes me now a big kid, yes. you know? And she literally asks me that sometimes. She'll say, Mommy, we've got to get rid of my little kid things. And so she's like, I want to change my room. I want to clear out my wardrobe. Like, yeah. it's exactly that, Mia. It's like, mm. these are her last two weeks in primary school. What is the marker that moves me from here to the next one? Mm. And of course, girls get their periods around that time, but that's a very private, personal thing. These are external markers around identity but then and your you look place back, in the world. You look back at adulthood or a- even at my age and you just go, I wish I'd let myself stay in that period for longer. Yeah. What a beautiful period. And that's part of the conflict with parents because we want to yeah. hold them back there too. <laughs> And then you just blink your eyes and they want to get their nipple pierced. <laughs> Is that a yes or a no? I'm open to it. Like, you know, yeah, me, take, me a, take out the mom. ring, it'll close up again. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not at 12 though. Best and worst of the week, I will kick off. My best, it's very apt that we are following on from that. I got a lash lift. It's my second and I don't know how I ever lived without yes. it. Yes. Okay. It looks really good. Thank and you, you know I hate giving compliments. I do. And I did notice the other day, I was like, that's either a very long, like that's lasted for a long time or you've had it redone. Yeah, I had it redone. How I many had it redone. weeks? How many weeks? Mm, oh, between I don't know. Good lips. question. Maybe I got my first at the end of lockdown. Time is just a construct. So maybe like four, six I think four weeks. to six weeks. Yeah. Apparently you can last two months. They weren't completely flat, but I just thought, you know. Bar mitzvah's coming up. May as well get my lashes lifted. And I also got my brows done. And I've not had my brows done professionally for so many years. I've decided that was just, not that I'm low maintenance in any way, but I just couldn't be bothered. But since lockdown, as Jessie said, I can't stop grooming. Mm. I can't stop grooming. And I'm, I'm just loving my lashes. I'm just 
loving them. Lashes have become such a thing over the last few mm. years because uh, I remember writing a thing about I feel inadequate about my lashes because I hadn't realized that looking at the aesthetic of false lashes on Instagram suddenly made me feel inadequate about my lashes. So I'm not going to get false lashes or extensions or anything, but my lash lift is just giving me so much joy. It's they a really make, simple pleasure. They make me panic because I don't like having my eyes closed for that long. I get Yeah, anxious. I got bored. Yeah. But I just listened to a podcast. It was okay. Okay. And my worst of the week, again, it's all the same thing. My son is having his bar mitzvah and he's my youngest. He's turned 13 in lockdown and I feel really emotional about it because all my kids are in high school now. Sorry, two of my kids are in high school now. I've got no kids in primary school anymore. One is way past high school. So we're moving through the stages, right? But I haven't done that final thing of this is my last child leaving school for the last time. I'm years away from that. But it's just, I don't know, he looks like not quite a young man, but he's not doesn't look like a little boy anymore, like mm. he's as tall as me. And I just, yeah, I always get very emotional around bar mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs. They're a beautiful, beautiful ritual. They're so, they're so exciting. There's so much yeah. singing. And Jessie's going to give a speech in Hebrew. Yep. Yeah, I can't yep. wait for that. I'm can't going to, to the that. synagogue. Yeah. I just love it. She's going to the synagogue. So that is my worst, but of course it's my best. Like his bar mitzvah is my best, but just the nostalgia of when you think about the firsts, it's also the lasts. Mm. Oh. Me? Yes. Me, me. Okay, my worst is the thing we're not supposed to be talking about, which is Omicron and the great uncertainty. Because as out loud as we'll know, I am going overseas. Touch wood. There's nothing wooden in here. I am going overseas uh, at the beginning of next year to see my family for the first time in a very long time. And I am now feeling very uncertain about it, as is almost everyone I know, because they're worried about getting trapped or stuck. And the thing is, is what I realized, and this is this also plays into the theme, actually, is that I, in some ways, I'm like, oh, well, if I have to cancel, I have to cancel, right? And of course I would, because I don't want to get stuck overseas away from my children because they're not coming with me. But my mum is so excited mm. about me going, like so excited. I thought she wouldn't be, like, this is really stupid, right? But I thought that because I wasn't bringing the kids, my parents would be a bit like, Meh, who cares? We want to see the grandkids. But it's almost like you forget. You're their daughter. Like, You're, I'm their yeah. daughter. They want to see me. You're the I main was, one. I was like, oh. So I'm in a push-pull about it. I know lots of people are in the same situation when we talked about it on Monday. Lots of people messaged me. They're not sure what to do about their flights. They're not sure what to do. It's just a reminder that everything can change very quickly. So that great uncertainty is the worst. My best is actually a bit of an extra recommendation because – I often listen to Armchair Expert, which is the Dax Shepard, Monica Padman podcast. I Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't, but he gets big names. This week, I listened because Bradley Cooper was on. Now, you know, Bradley Cooper as in Star is Born, all the things. I didn't know this, but Dax Shepard and Bradley Cooper are best friends. They have been best friends for 15 years. And so the show goes in this completely unexpected direction that ends up being, rather than an interview with a movie star, it's an exploration of male friendship in a way that you just don't hear men talk mm. about very often. So they discuss, obviously, why they kind of fell in love when they met and how the different turns that their relationship took. And then they talk about the really rough time. And he just sounds, I've heard Bradley Cooper interviewed before, and he's always uptight and boring because he's a real mm. craft dude. You know mm. what I mean? He's, he's always talking about acting and 
his art and that makes great art but doesn't always make for the best interviews because they're kind of boring. But because he's being interviewed by his best friend, he's really relaxed and loose. But they talk about times in their life that they've fallen out and grown apart and what that was about and they really explore it in the most mindful way in it was kind of when Bradley Cooper became the biggest movie star in the world and Dax Shepard was saying lots of people think it was jealousy but he actually thinks now that it's that he didn't think that Bradley needed him anymore he's like you were hanging out with Leonardo DiCaprio and freaking Robert De Niro he's like why would you have any space for Dax anymore and Bradley's like but I do man because and it's amazing and then they have this whole conversation about how in friendships, and I think this is true of women and men, but there's an alpha and a beta. And they are saying how Dax has to be the alpha in every relationship he's in. And Bradley Cooper liked that, was really happy to slot into the beta position in that situation. But then when Bradley Cooper started becoming very famous, so was more alpha in career, how that all had to be renegotiated. It's just so interesting because you never hear men talk about friendship. No, like, you hear it's amazing. You hear them talk about like mateship, like yeah. uh-huh, mateship stuff, but you don't really hear men discuss, you know, the intimacies of friendship. And they say, he says really that what made them come back together after a period that was a bit weird was when Bradley Cooper had a child. And Dax Shepard said, I just realized there is no way I cannot be around for that. And it was, Aww. it's just beautiful. So I recommend it. It's the latest episode of, oh, maybe not the latest, but the, of Armchair Expert with Bradley Cooper. It's much more interesting than you might imagine. Jesse, My worst is I just had one of those days on Tuesday. I was meant to just get a whole lot of things done. And you know those days where you just can't stand yourself and you're just a big, walking, clumsy idiot and mm. you're like, I'm irritating myself imagine how irritating I am to others and then it's clear that you are irritating others I went to a thing parked my car uh walked out of this thing complete memory lapse of where I'd parked my car more Mm. than an hour trying to find my car on a street in a suburb that. that I don't know really started panicking then I had to go and get my passport renewed turned up to the post office big deal 11 steps of just like do this do that turned up hello sir please give me my passport and he took one look at the papers and was like someone has eaten the bottom of your papers it was my dog I didn't think it was a big deal um he refused to accept the papers they're so strict about passports I looked at him and I was like Can there's you no wriggle room reprint it for me and he was like no was like, oh, anyway so I've got to go and do that and then it was just a big messy awful day of chaos so that was good um my best was podcast awards and the reason I say that is because I was looking around thinking that it's an industry that has really reinvented sort of a portion of media. So radio was very male dominated uh, and you would go to other award ceremonies and it's very, very male dominated. Mm. Last night, like you had say Zoe Marshall and her plus one was Benji. And he was just like walking around. And he's like the famous NRL he's, star. Exactly. Yeah, and she's a podcast host. And there were some people being like, are we at the Dally M's? Like, what is Benji Marshall here? And I was like, Benji Marshall? Oh, he's just Zoe's husband. And then <laughs> Laura Byrne was there with Maddie J. And there were just all these Who like. was The Bachelor. So he, all yes. these famous plus ones. Exactly. And the women were the famous ones yeah, who right. have these incredible podcasts with their plus ones carrying their handbag, which I really appreciate. Love, love it. And I just looked around and. It was so diverse, so many incredible independent podcasts being made, 
such quirky, weird people that probably wouldn't belong anywhere else. And it's so new that it hasn't fallen into the traps of kind of pre-existing, you know, industries. You just go in and I think that as Mamma Mia, we go in just feeling so proud that we've been part of this industry Mm. for six, seven years, started speaking into an iPhone Mm -hmm. and to watch this grow in such a short period of time and and to be a part of it is just it's an exciting industry and Australia makes some of the best podcasts in the world so it's been the ultimate media disruption hasn't it oh exactly and you see all these little guys that have really kind of which was us which is us yeah it was us and they're still compared to the big radio companies yeah just like some people in a room yeah independent (laughs) so I just I love it I've got a quick recommendation before we go. Billie Eilish does an interview with Vanity Fair every year. It started in 2017 when she was just 15 years old and she was already famous and they asked her all these series of questions like how many followers do you have on Instagram and who's the most famous person that follows you and someone was very smart and decided to then do it on October 18 the following year and it became a tradition and what they do each year is that they play some of the answers to the questions from previous years and then it's now. And so this is the fifth year and she's now 19, the ripe old age of 19. Oh, my goodness. And it is like interviewing the mother of the person who did the last four years. Oh, wow. She is in such a different place because there have been years that I've watched those that I've really worried for her, not just me, but I've. it's been very clear she's going through a lot of stuff as you would as a 15-year-old and 16-year-old who's, you know, globally famous and being touted as the next big thing. And there were some years where I was like, I worry how how this is going to go. And this year was just like, I just felt a big exhalation. She just was so mature. So she was very motherly towards the clips of her when she was younger. Like it was almost like yeah, it was. it's an amazing thing to watch. It's such a clever thing that Vanity Fair's done. You can just see it on YouTube if you just Google Vanity Fair uh, Billie Eilish and I highly recommend it. It's not just an insight into fame but also an insight into what it is to be a famous young woman in the internet age mm. and how you can survive that fame really. One of the things she was talking about is how like until this year she would never go out in like she didn't want to go in public because it would be so awful but this year she's found ways that she can do it and she's just she's relaxed into it basically. So it's a beautiful thing to watch. That's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mamma Mia Out Loud. It was produced by Sydney Peed and the executive producer is Eliza Ratliff. And don't forget that if you're an M Plus subscriber, you can hear us every Tuesday and Thursday with a little extra segment. Yesterday, we spoke about sibling rivalry, which was really interesting. And I had lots of questions for Jesse about this. Here's a little bit. There's a sense of when you are back with your siblings, especially say around Christmas time when there's you know, Christmas parties and family gatherings. There's a sense of who you become when you're with your siblings and then you resent it because you're like, I'm not this person every other day of the year. So why do I become a petty bitch when it's all of us? And Nick becomes a contrarian. Yes. Jack stops speaking and Claire gets really annoying and silly. And I become sort of the token mopey bitch. Like that's kind of how we all fit in. We'll put a link in the show notes if you want to have a listen and subscribe. Bye. 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 Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation.
We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.